Well, thank you for once again checking out this verse-by-verse Bible study. I'm Randy Duncan, and in this episode, we're going to be covering Creation Days 2 and 3. But first, as way of a recap, last time we discussed Day 1 and Let There Be Light. What is meant by a day in Genesis? The differences in young earth and old earth perspectives. Which brings us now to Day 2, which describes the appearance of dry land and vegetation. So let's jump right in with verses 6-8, through which read, And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse, and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. So, what is this expanse that's described? And some versions translate it as firmament. But either way, the Hebrew term is rakia. And it's referring to the expanse between the waters here on earth and the waters above the earth, such as cloud cover. Now, some people believe that this is describing a vast canopy of water that was at one time held in place above the surface of the earth. This is known as the canopy theory. And they argue that this was the source of much of the water for Noah's flood, when in chapter 7, it tells us that the floodgates of heaven opened up. And they also believe that this canopy of water surrounding the earth, that it also provided for a sort of a uniform tropical climate over the entire earth, and that it also helped explain long lifespans by protecting humans from solar radiation. However, modern science has basically demonstrated, for a variety of reasons, that the physics involved simply would not allow a canopy of water to be suspended over the earth like that. So just to provide a couple of examples or reasons that the canopy theory would not be possible, a canopy of water that large would have set up such a greenhouse effect, such heating of the earth's surface, that all ice and liquid water would have evaporated from the earth's surface, resulting in no life. And if the water in this canopy was in a vaporous form, then it would have dissipated into space before growing to a large enough size to provide enough water to cover the entire earth. But on the other hand, if the water would have been held in a liquid or an ice form, then the canopy would have crashed down under its own weight due to gravity. I mean, the physics just don't allow for that much weight to be supported in that form. And so for these and other reasons, most people, even most young earth creationists now, have abandoned this theory. But in verse 8, it says that God called the expanse heaven. Sometimes we read sky. It's interesting because in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul mentions a third heaven. Now, scholars debate what he meant exactly, but most of them seem to land on the first heaven being that area in the sky where birds and planes fly. The second heaven being the space where stars and planets and where you begin to get out of our troposphere. But then the third heaven which is the one Paul mentions being where God's throne is. But regardless of what this firmament, this rakia was, the important thing is not exactly what its structure was, but what its function was. And the function of the expanse, this firmament, this rakia, was to separate the water on earth from the water above the earth. And for what purpose? To regulate the weather. This was the beginning of the water cycle which is needed for life. And so we see God continuing to create a habitable planet for animals and humans. You know, it's an interesting observation that this second day 
It's the only creation day for which God did not say that it was good. And since Sunday is the first day of the week, Monday was the second day. And so some people have joked that even God hates Mondays. But the stage is now being set for what is to follow in creation, as we now have light available for photosynthesis to take place and a weather system that can now deliver water in all of its required forms. And so we continue with verses 9 and 10, which read, And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And so we see again, And God said. Another reminder that creation did not take place without the willful act and the information and the input from God. But this is where we see dry land appear on the early earth, which, remember, began as a water world. Now, the discipline of plate tectonics, it's rather advanced these days. And in fact, scientists are able to calculate the growth rate of the continental land masses. And they can see how the land masses began as these small island chains and then grew and were pushed up from the ocean floor. But something that's very interesting is that if you look at a graph of the buildup of the land masses, you see a very large spike about halfway through Earth's history. And where does Genesis place the appearance of dry land? Halfway through creation week. Exactly where scientists place it. Now we're going to see that the text reads that let the land produce or let the earth produce. Now some translations will read as let the earth bring forth. The earth is the mechanism through which God works out his creative power. And so, quote, nature here is simply the mediated power of God. This idea of worshiping or deifying Mother Nature is just completely wrongheaded. Now, there are certain religions or cults that worship nature, and worshiping nature seems to be a part of several of these New Age religions. For example... Contemporary witches, or Wiccans as they prefer to be called, they worship nature and the powers that they believe permeate the universe. And when we get to day four, we'll see that Genesis tells us that God created the sun, the moon, and the stars. And part of the reason we're told that is that the creation account also acts as a polemic or a refutation against all of the pagan creation accounts and worshiping those created things as gods. So in other words, don't worship the sun as some sort of God. It's simply a created thing. It's not a God, but a creation of God. And the same thing applies for the stars and the planets, as well as all of nature. One very interesting conversation that takes place between various Christian interpretations is, how can there be plants before the sun is created? In other words, Genesis is telling us that Plants were created on day three, but the sun isn't created until day four, so how exactly can that work? Well, we touched on that interpretation that the sun had already been created in the beginning, but it simply could not be seen as of yet from the earth due to the very thick atmosphere. I mean, this was an atmosphere that was literally a hundred times thicker than it is today. However, as it transformed from opaque to translucent, light rays from the sun began penetrating the thinning atmosphere, and so photosynthesis could begin. I mean, think about it. It's not like plants begin to die on a cloudy day. I mean, even though you can't see the sun, 
photosynthesis can still take place with the light rays that are penetrating the cloudy skies. But one of the ways the Bible's been attacked by non-believers is right here in Creation Day 3 and the order of events that are laid out in the creation narrative in Genesis. Skeptics are quick to point out that the Bible says plants were created before any animals, but that science says the opposite. Science has the sea creatures before plants. And they point out that the fossil record proves this order. Now in the past, a Christian response was to simply argue that of course we don't find any plant fossils older than animal fossils because plants are soft and they decay and so they're not going to leave behind many fossils. Whereas animal skeletons that are made of bone and animal shells, they didn't decay so quickly and thus they did have the opportunity to fossilize. Well, in 2009, scientists found isotope signatures from plants that were dated to 200 million years before sea creatures. And in 2011, Nature Magazine published an article describing that pieces of plant fossils were discovered that demonstrated that plants were abundant on the earth up to 600 million years before the first sea creatures. And so this is just another example of where the Bible got it right almost 3,500 years before our scientists figured it out. And really, if we actually just pause and inject some common sense into that equation, it makes sense that wherever we'd see animal life flourishing, there would need to be the vegetation that it feeds on. Now another interesting observation is that on day three, God speaks twice. Two times we read that, and God said. Now that only occurs on days three and day six. Now is that just a coincidence? Or is there something that we can take away from it? On day three, God first spoke and the dry land began to appear, the habitat for plant life. He spoke again and plant life began to appear. So is it possible that scripture's teaching us that you cannot make the leap from non-life to life without the input from God? And when we get to day six, you're going to see the same thing. We'll make the leap from animals to humans, but again, not without multiple inputs from God. And so what we're being taught here in scripture, contrary to what the evolutionists would claim, is that just as you can't make the leap from non-life to life without God, neither can you make the leap from animal to human without the input and the creative act of God. And so to wrap up this discussion of day three, verses 11 through 13 read, And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. Now I want to quickly mention this phrase, according to its kind. And I'm not going to go into detail on that phrase right now because I want to spend more time of that discussion when we get to the appearance of animals. But just know what's being communicated here is the simple concept that plants produce other plants just like them. And when we get there and when we discuss animals, that same concept also applies. In other words, penguins produce other penguins. Apple trees produce apple trees. I mean, even Master Ugwe in Kung Fu Panda knew this. As he taught Master Shifu on how to best train panda, he mentions the peach tree and tells him, 
when he plants a peach seed, no matter what you do, that seed will grow to be a peach. You may wish for an apple or an orange, but you will get a peach. And this concept will come into play and has more significant implications when we discuss the appearance of animals and humans and when we consider what we've been taught to believe from contemporary evolutionary biology. And so we've now covered the first three days. These first three days see God creating the spaces, the habitats, for where he'll place the life that he'll create over the remainder of the creation week. And so in the next episode, we're going to discuss day four, which includes the appearance of the sun, the moon, and the stars. I look forward to you joining me in the next episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, God bless. Yeah.